Welcome to the Cross to Crown Podcast, where we keep the system out of theology and the baby out of the bathwater. We keep the text in its context and the new in the new covenant. Our mission is to help you live intentionally Christ-obsessed in all things. And as we're we're talking about prayer, we, we we've been praying this morning because of the fact that uh, as you heard about last week in Southern California, we don't take well to rain. Evidently, we we don't like it here. We, that's why we enjoy being in a drought. And um, uh, the, the the even the internet acts up when we don't have dry weather. And when it's rainy, uh, our internet seems to not like getting wet. So. Uh, we're cutting in and out, so if, if uh, we cut in and out a little bit, we apologize. We're going to try to plug on here and uh, do our best job and uh, uh, present the material to you w- without too many breaks here, right, Doug? So wait, so wait a minute, Chris. Now, you're telling me it's raining right now? Right now. Because behind you, it sure looks like sun is blasting in through your uh, shades there. Well, of course. That's why we pay such high taxes, so that we can always have sunshine no matter what. Even when it's raining, <laughs> Even huh? when it's raining. So... <laughs> It's very rare that when it rains here that we get like, you know, pitch black darkness type thing. Uh, we don't have like these big old clouds rolling in. They're, they're, they're nice gray billowy clouds that come and sprinkle on us. Yeah. <laughs> so even, even our rain here is kind of, um, kind of left coastish. <laughs> it's, it's not what it should be. <laughs> What's the weather like there? Uh, it was cloudy this morning, but right now it's sunny. We still have a little bit of snow on the ground from the weekend, uh, but it's beautiful. It's going to be cold today. 23, I think, is the high. Oh, wow. <laughs> we turned on the heater last night, and it was only down in the 40s. <laughs> <laughs> My whole family, they're like, turn it up, turn it up. It's so cold. <laughs> yeah, dollar signs, dollar yes, signs. Put, yes. on, put on more jackets. <laughs> more blankets, jackets, drink some hot cocoa, something like that. that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, but... Um, uh, we got a daughter who who's uh, years ago I bought my wife because she's one of those people that's cold at the slightest breeze. So I bought her a little space heater so she can take it wherever she is in the house. Uh-huh. And and my uh, my daughter got a hold of it and she has has uh, acquired it and believes it's her. So she's she's got it right next to her bed. And then uh, I guess last night everybody was jealous because she had heat and nobody else did. So well, here's my here's my husband tip for the week for everybody. Okay. So uh, years ago I bought a. Um, a uh, single bed size heating blanket mm-hmm. so that it's only on my wife's side so <laughs> she can turn that thing up as high as she wants to and it's not on me and she <laughs> she's warm and I'm not too hot so uh, that was you know because the um, they have the dual thermostat blankets but that means I still have to have that blanket on me right right I don't want that blanket on me so you get just a single bed size it only covers about half the bed and everybody's happy it's good yeah. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> we'll, we'll put Amazon links up on the uh, description of the podcast so you can find it. And it happens to be Doug's own personal Amazon page. You know? <laughs> Imagine that. <laughs> He's monetized it. <laughs> well, let's let's dive into our topic here about prayer. Um, it's it's. I mean, w- when you think about the Christian faith, you think about prayer. It's it's. You think about the uh, Bible, and you think about prayer as you as you think about the Christian life. But there's sometimes some confusion that goes along with it, um, especially in some of the uh, teaching that's going on nowadays, because you have some folks who are saying that you name it and claim it. 
Um, then there's the other folks who are on the far side who, who say that um, uh, there's really no need to pray because of the fact that God is sovereign and, and uh, it's all worked out anyway. So there's really not much much care for. The only thing that it's useful for is to uh, change our minds and put us into alignment with God. But we want to say that the scriptures has more to say on the matter than that. And uh, a correcting word for those type of ideas. So we're going to just go ahead and dive in. And as always, Doug, I like to define terms. So what when we say prayer, what are we specifically talking about? Because if you say prayer in the, the modern culture nowadays, um, when, you, when you see someone on Facebook say, hey, pray for the fire victims here and send thoughts and vibes and prayers, <laughs> they're, they're throwing a lot together there. Um, what distinguishes Christian prayer, the understanding of what Christian prayer is, to all the other ideas of prayers, meditation, chants, et cetera, out there. Yeah, I think you make a good point, uh, even as you're introducing that. Uh, you think about when there's a tragedy in our nation, uh, the president or any other dignitary will likely say our thoughts and prayers are with people. And really, they're trying to cover all their bases when they say that. You know, we're thinking about the person who's experienced loss. And for those of you who may believe in some kind of higher power, we want you to know that uh, we, we care about prayers and that kind of thing, which I just find interesting that uh, we're such a pluralistic society that I guess we shouldn't be surprised at that. Uh, the other interesting thing here is the Bible doesn't really define prayer for us. Mm -hmm. uh, we see many, many examples of people praying, and so we can discern what it is from those examples. But nowhere does it say prayer equals this or that. Uh, so as we survey the uh, the landscape of the scripture of what praying is, uh, there are varieties of, of ways to get at it. Um, it's really it's talking to God. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's telling him things about himself. That's what we call praise. That's declaring his greatness to him and to others. Uh, that's, that's a time of prayer. Of course, there's confession and, uh, and asking him forgiveness uh, for forgiveness, those kind of things. But the overwhelming number of times that prayer is used in the Bible, it is people asking God for things, for, for help, for, uh, for change, and that kind of thing. And sometimes as Christians, I think we get a little, uh, we, we become too, too, uh, uh, too humble, uh, if that's the word that I'm looking for. Uh, and we, we don't want people to be asking God all the time. We say that's selfish, and yet, go through and look it up. Prayer is almost always asking God, and th there's a prideful way to do that, just like with our kids who just ask us and ask us and ask us for stuff all the time, and really all they care about is getting their stuff, but there's also a humility that is expressed. The more that we ask God for the things we need, the things we want, the things that we're, we're concerned about, that's showing him, telling him, I need you. I'm dependent. I'm not self-sufficient. Uh, I, I need you to work here. Is there some type of um, underlying theme to all of our asking? Is there something supposed to be bedrocking, a foundation to, no matter what kind of prayer you're asking, is there supposed to be something underneath underlying all that? That sounds like a leading question. What, uh, what do you think the answer is? Well, what's our, what's, our, what's our theme here at Cross the Crown? To be intentionally Christ-obsessed in all things. That's right. I, I think um, as we search the scriptures, uh, uh, we notice that, that the, the prayers that are often that are offered are, are especially in the New Testament, are ones that, despite whatever 
detail that's involved is what specifically you're asking for. There's an underlining exaltation of Christ for his kingdom. Even if it's if it's a, a prayer for an individual, um, there's, there's that whole exaltation of Christ and for his kingdom and for the gospel. So I think we even can see some of that in the Old Testament, um, but from that side of the cross. Uh, where yeah, the, where it's, pr it's probably important to say that on the front end here because I'm going to argue that uh, we should be asking God for everything and, and constantly be bringing our needs before him. Right. But it is a, if it's purely man-centered, you know, James said this, mm. you have not because you ask not. Right. And then the reason God doesn't answer those prayers is because you're asking for selfish motives as opposed to Christ-honoring motives. So as we talk here, we'll see it's not that yep. we shouldn't be asking for things that we need and even things that we want. Mm -hmm. But those things should always be couched in terms of, I'm living my life to please Jesus, not just to get what I want out of life. Right. And, and so when our, when our requests are me-centered, then we are foolish to think God is going to answer those. But on the other hand, let's not go too far the other way and not be passionate about asking for the things that we want and need if it's in line with uh, exalting Christ. Right, right. <clears throat> so... Are we, is prayer an option for the believer or is this something that we have to do? Is it commanded? It is certainly commanded over and over and over and over again. Pray without ceasing, bring mm -hmm. everything with prayer and supplication to the, to the Lord, those kind of things. Uh, so it's a command, so it's not an option, but it's also foolish not to. Mm -hmm. You know, we're, we're just mm -hmm. wasting our lives and we're, we're, we're fools to think that we can mm -hmm. do anything without the help of God. And he's mm -hmm. saying, I want you to ask. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's that's true. You know, it's it's interesting that oftentimes Jesus will sit, there's that expectation instead of saying you need to pray, he says when you pray, right? When you fast, when you you know, so there's that that whole understanding that this is part of following me. This is part of being a disciple, uh, a, a believer in Jesus, a, a lover of God, is is prayer. Now, here's the question I got to ask, and it always comes up when the discussion of prayer is is. Is, is engaged, and that is the sovereignty of God and prayer. It's, it's always in every single prayer discussion, every single book that you read on prayer. So here it is. If God is sovereign and ordains all things, then why should I bother even to pray? Yeah, again, we're talking theologians speak. Uh, <laughs> let's not be better theologians than God. Those are the kinds of questions that uh, theologians ask, but the Bible doesn't uh, tell us to ask that kind of question. And it really is, we're, we're trying mm -hmm. to be better theologians than God. We're reading theology more than we're reading the Bible. I'll give you an example of, uh, of how this came about in my life. Uh, I've been to two Reformed seminaries, and uh, the second one was a little one here in Colorado Springs that was formerly uh, an extension of Knox Theological Seminary, and then they uh, went independent and uh, became New Geneva Seminary. And uh, my professor was a good Reformed Calvinist type and uh, in one class, and he was teaching on prayer. And uh, he was just really, really emphatic about the point that prayer doesn't change things. Prayer never changes anything. Who are we to presume that we can change things through prayer, et cetera, et cetera? God's not whimsical. He's not going to change his mind just because we pray and that kind of thing. So he just, he just laying this on thick. And he said, the one thing prayer does is it changes you, the prayer. And I raised my hand and, and uh, I said, <laughs> has God already determined whether or not he's going to change me, the prayer? <laughs> and he said, well, yes, because everything is foreordained. 
So my prayer doesn't even do that. My prayer does nothing. <laughs> and he was quiet, and the rest of the class was quiet, and we had some very, uh, very strong Calvinistic uh, students there, and they were kind of upset with him for not having a better, uh, not, not able to answer me. <laughs> and and they kept trying, and I kept saying, yeah, yeah, okay, I hear what you're saying, but really, the at the end of the day, your premises lead to the conclusion that prayer does nothing mm. if God has wow. preordained everything. Right. And and again, it's all theology speak. That's not how the Bible reads. And and mm -hmm. we're, there's tension in the Bible, and we need to learn to be comfortable with mm -hmm. the tension between God's sovereignty and and man's responsibility. Uh, as we read the scripture just over and over and over again, it says, pray, 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 and God will respond to our prayers. He will answer our prayers. And we don't have to sort all that out. We don't have to mm -hmm. figure out how all that works. He just tells us, on one hand, yes. I have uh, foreordained everything before the foundation of the world, and I hear your prayers, and I answer your prayers, and, and that's how we should operate. Mm. Uh, one example I like to use from the scripture to explain this is, uh, is uh, Elijah, actually. Mm. Yeah. Um, so James, as we know, at the end of chapter 5, he talks about how Elijah is a man just like you and me, uh, and he prayed, and it stopped raining for three and a half years. God responded to his prayer, and it stopped raining. And then, uh, three and a half years later, he prayed and God sent rain. Well, that's, that's all James gives us. But if you go back and look at that story, Elijah went and said there isn't going to be rain because God sent him. And then God says, go back to Jerusalem and I'm going to send rain. Mm. And you remember what Elijah did? He didn't just say, all right, God has said it. I'm going to send rain. Right. He went up on the mountain and he said, and he started praying, got on his knees, praying for rain. And he sent a servant to go look and see if there's any indication that a cloud is coming. Nope, nothing. He prayed again, send a servant, go see. Nope. Finally, he sees a little uh, cloud the size of a man's hand, it says, coming. So what's fascinating to me about that is God had told Elijah, right. I am going to do this. And Elijah prays fervently that God would do what he said he would do. Mm -hmm. Why did he do that? Because he wasn't a better theologian than God. He didn't. Right. Uh, he didn't reckon, try to try to draw these abstract conclusions. He just said, "I wanted to rain. God said He's going to rain. I'm going to ask Him to bring rain." And and I think that's the proper attitude with respect to God's sovereignty. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. We have to be, we have to be comfortable with that understanding of God's. And it's the same thing we talked about evangelism last time uh, with the, God's sovereignty. Um, and, and then this, this whole idea that we have to pray and expect an answer. Um, that let me let me ask you this because this is a follow up question to that sovereignty question. Always comes is is there any examples in scripture in which man is able to change the mind of God? Oh sure, Moses did it. Um, God says after the uh, Moses up on the mountain receiving the mm -hmm. Ten Commandments, the uh, people are down having an orgy, creating a a golden calf, you know, breaking the first two commandments uh, right then and there before the, the ink is even dry on the contract. And God says to Moses, move out of the way, Moses. I'm going to destroy them. Mm -hmm. And Moses begs and pleads, and he says, please don't do that. Don't do that. Otherwise, the Egyptians will say, oh, that God just brought his people out here to destroy them. And God said, okay, I won't do it now, but on the mm -hmm. day that I punish, I will punish. We have the example with uh, King Hezekiah. Right. God said, pack your bags, get your house in order. Uh, you are, you're going to die. He says, please let me have 15 more. Let me have more time. God said, okay, mm -hmm. I'll grant you 15 more years. 
So uh, yeah, we see this over and over again. From our perspective, now again, I, I do agree that Scripture says that, that God has planned the end from the beginning, but that's not how the storyline plays out, and we're mm-hmm. not supposed to engage all of our rational reconciliation tools to figure all this out. We're supposed to simply respond to what the Scripture says, and when we ask God to uh, do things, even if our from our perspective he said, I'm going to do this, uh, he will change his mind from our perspective, just like Nineveh, you know, Jonah saying, mm-hmm. uh, well, Jonah didn't want them to repent, but Nineveh did repent. Right. And God said, okay, I'm not going to bring the calamity upon you that I said I would. Uh, that's how the story plays out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, again, we have to be comfortable with that because I think this, the explanations that are often given by folks um, trying to explain that is leaves a lot of um, bad taste in your mouth because of the it goes against so much of what is being clearly said in the scriptures. Um, and we just have to be comfortable understanding that God is sovereign. He's, he's ordained all things and he's also ordained prayer. That's, that's another point we need to understand is that God has ordained prayer as a means to bring about his will. Um, and we just need to trust in that and, and, uh, and uh, walk by faith and pray by faith as well. <laughs> sure. And, and you won't do that if you believe that his right. response to our prayer is nil. If he right. just says, Okay, I've sovereignly ordained you to pray, but it has no impact on any on anything. Mm-hmm. Why would you pray? You wouldn't. Right. We, right. We're not fatalists. We ha- we have to be careful. Now, if we're talking to people who have a very low view of God's sovereignty, and think that God doesn't even know the future and He's right. not in control, and yes, God is just a a, a reactor to my praying. Mm-hmm. Well, then of course we would spend more time on the other passages that talk about God's sovereignty and right. his omniscience and all that. But most of the people that we engage with today, at least that I engage with, mm-hmm. are people who are more likely to be fatalists right. than they are to say that God is uh, is whimsical. Yeah, and then again, as, as those two sides, those two errors you want to be careful of, because you go off, you get, you're falling off either side of the page of the Bible. You want to stay firmly square, planted on the scriptures and what it says. And you know, the, the Bible clearly presents prayer, uh, these prayers, especially like if you look in the Old Testament, uh, these prayers as something that was effectual, something that made a difference. So we have to understand it as it's presented to us uh, and not try to read our theology, our template uh, into it to try to make it something different than what it's clearly saying that that it did. So um, let me ask you, how is how is faith and prayer in, linked together here? Um, can I just... I mean, we've already talked a little bit about the faith in there, but but how? What's the association between prayer and faith? I know the scriptures have a lot to say about that, especially in the New Testament. Yeah, it's crucial. Uh, if if we don't have faith when we pray, we're just performing a a ritual, a, a religious mm-hmm. exercise. And Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount makes it very clear: God is not going to respond to just the repetition of words and going through you know some uh, some prescriptions of uh, of words. James again says. Uh, he's talking about wisdom in uh, in chapter one, and he says, you know, if you lack wisdom, ask, and mm-hmm. God promises there to to give you the wisdom that you need. And the context is it's it's the persevering wisdom, it's the ability to persevere through trials. And when you're weak there, ask, and he'll he'll answer it, unless you ask doubting. Mm-hmm. And he has strong words. He says you yeah. are double minded and yeah. should not expect to receive anything from God. If you ask doubting, Mm -hmm. so we are to believe we're to say, okay, I know you can do all things. I know you care about me. I'm going to ask and anything that's, that's a promise in the new Testament, such as I will give you wisdom. uh, I will give you my Holy spirit. Any of those things that he has promised, 
we should ask with full assurance he is going to do what he said he would do. Now, where it gets hard is when we're asking for specific things that we don't know what his answer is. We, he has not promised to give us that thing. So now we, we don't ask with the same kind of faith in, in the sense of, I already know you're going to do this because you've told me. Uh, but we still have to ask in faith that he hears us, that he loves us, and he's going to give us something good. Okay. Now that question I asked was originally from the perspective, like you and you answered from it, the perspective of, of, of a believer and his faith. What about unbelievers? For instance, uh, folks have asked, often asked this, should we teach children who are unbelievers to pray or encourage unbelievers to pray? Are they heaping coals upon their head because they're coming to God um, without faith, um, acknowledging a God that they have not yet uh, confessed uh, their, his Christ as Lord? Is this, is this something we should be doing or not? Uh, I would divide that into two categories. Okay. I would uh, treat children differently than I treat uh, other mm -hmm. unbelievers. Mm -hmm. uh, we're to train our children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. So yes, we, we've taught our children to pray since mm -hmm. they were able to talk, knowing full well that uh, they, for a while, they don't know who they're talking to and they don't mm -hmm. know why they're doing it, but we're training them so that when they do become Christians, they already know how this works. Right. Uh, for other unbelievers who are adults who, who you know, what they know what they don't believe, that kind of thing, um, I, I don't encourage them to pray. I believe there's only one prayer that God's going to respond to when mm -hmm. they ask, and that is, would you forgive my sins because of Jesus Christ? Right. Uh, now, now, we do have examples of, of God responding at times to unbelievers in the Old Testament, especially. So that's up to him, you know, how he responds. But the greatest urgency for any unbeliever is to, to come to faith in Jesus Christ. So I don't go around encouraging them to pray other than to pray uh, the prayer of reconciliation with him. Uh, the scripture is pretty clear. You can't get to the Father now that Jesus has come. You can't get to the Father except through the Son. So if you're not a Christian, you're not praying in the name of Jesus, and there's no good reason to think that God would uh, hear your prayer. As a side note, when you said that, I was just thinking about an encounter I had with someone one time, and um, uh, he was an unbeliever, and, and I he said, uh, it was a situation was going on, he says, yeah, he says, I, I, I'm, I'm praying that everything turns out okay. <laughs> and I'd use that as an opportunity for evangelism. I said, oh, really? I said, I said who are you praying to? Mm -hmm. <laughs> but he gave me the, the queerest look, and he's like, what? <laughs> I said, who do, you, who do you pray to, you know? Mm. So it, it became an evangelistic opportunity, always looking for those. Good. So there you go, folks. Write that down in your tips of how to That's start right. an evangelistic conversation. Offend somebody by asking them what <laughs> they pray to. Um, <laughs> Let me move into um, some more, a uh, little bit more specifics in the scriptures. Where do we find the first prayer at? It's always fun to always say, where is it the first time this is occurring at? Where do we see the first prayers occurring at? Um, when did it start? Talk, you're talking about specific content? I mean, I uh, certainly when God and, and Adam and Eve are talking, mm -hmm. uh, there is, the, I would call that prayer. That Again, it's communication. It's it's them speaking to God and and. Uh, and I guess God is mostly speaking to them when we actually get the uh, the dialogue in chapter three, uh, but it's it's implied in everything that Adam and Eve did before the fall. Uh, you have something in mind? I take it. Just just uh, I think it's interesting in in uh, Genesis four twenty six, uh, and I would agree that there's there's that there seems again I like to and a lot of other folks may disagree with me, especially if you hold to a covenant in the garden, a temple in the garden. Um, I believe there are are resemblances of those things in the garden, but I don't believe they were actual temple or garden or, or covenants in the garden. Um, 
I think those are post-fall things. And while I see this communication going on in 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 the garden, I I think just like we see a slight difference of prayer emphasis or whatever on in the New Testament, Old Testament, I think there may be a, something different that's happened here because in, in uh, um, uh, Genesis 4 where it says that at this time they began to call upon the name of the Lord, and we see that uh, that phrase used throughout the Old Testament where it's it's invoking invoking God. Um, so, yeah. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I don't know if I would say that's exactly the first prayer, but uh, th there's something significant there, and that could be calling upon him not just in uh, in more casual, uh, personal needs, right. but uh, it could be something bigger going on there. Right. I think um, the, we mentioned that one of the books that I had read recently, he was drawing the connection with that phrase as in, um, I think he said it was not necessarily the first time of pray, but it's the first time that uh, it was realized that the 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 Messiah, the snake crusher, wasn't going to come around right away, mm. and that it is at this point they realize they need to start petitioning God, calling upon Him to fulfill His promise. And he he tries to trace that as as a theme in prayer throughout the the Old Testament and fulfilled in the New Testament and the the advancement of of the Messiah's mission mm. in the New Testament. But he's, he's he brought that up. I thought it was interesting that he did that. Um, again, though. We, when you when you say there's a, a theme through it, you're going to read everything in line with that <laughs> theme. So then you apply the template sometimes in it, upon it. So you've got to be careful whenever you're reading those type of uh, uh, books that say there's there's one one thread and everything connects. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> is there a difference? What is the difference between old covenant and new covenant prayer, or old testament even old testament prayer, new testament prayer? Um, certainly, we we have greater promises in the new covenant. And we can pray in Jesus' name, which Old Testament saints could not. And, uh, and that brings it with it some pretty amazing promises. I mean, Jesus says boldly, ask whatever you want in my name, and it will be given to you. Um, there's an intimacy that we have uh, with God now because our sins are forgiven. So much of the Old Testament uh, structure, including the prayers, were uh, to show how distant people yeah. were from God. And, uh, you know, the Psalms, uh, Dave, I just read the Psalms again last month, and uh, David is and others are constantly asking God for forgiveness, asking God for help, and, and uh, implicitly, if not explicitly, acknowledging, I don't have direct access to you all the time because of my sin. Right. Please forgive me. Please show mercy. All those kinds of things. And as Christians now, that's not really our attitude. Our attitude is more of thanksgiving because i am forgiven i have full access you know mm -hmm. hebrews come boldly into the throne room of grace uh, to receive grace in time of need uh, i don't have to say please forgive all my sins before i ask you for something you have forgiven all my sins mm -hmm. i am your son in christ and so now i'm asking uh, for your favor i'm asking for this or that kind of thing so there's an intimacy there uh, yeah. where it's not just almost praying to my god what I'm praying to, Abba, Father, right, and that's a significant difference, right? Yeah, you you read the Old Testament prayer sometimes, and you're uh, you're saying, hmm, I just I can't relate to that aspect of the relationship to God, and that's because of the fact that something substantial has changed. Um, the pleas for take not your spirit from me is something we don't have to worry about because of the fact that we are given promises that we are always going to be indwelt by the Holy Spirit, um, and that we're not going to be forsaken. So, yeah, there is, so when we read the Old Testament prayers. 
there's a lot we can learn. And I think when we come across phrases like that, that we can't relate to, maybe that's an opportunity to stop and praise God and thank God in our prayer for uh, an aspect which uh, we don't have to, to, to fret about or worry about, but uh, have those blessings in our lives because of the work of Christ and being on this side of, of uh, Pentecost here. Um, is, is, you mentioned Psalms. Is Psalms a prayer book for the, the church? You see a lot of times um, folks claiming to, to pray the Psalms. Uh, is that something that we should be doing? Uh, with the proper New Testament and New Covenant interpretation, <laughs> sure, like all the other scripture. Um, we have to keep it in its context. You know, we have to realize those Psalms were all written from an old covenant perspective. And, and just as you just alluded to, Psalm 51, I, I tell our students this all the time, uh, when David there is crying out for a clean heart and a new heart and that the Lord would not remove his spirit mm-hmm. and that uh, restore to me the joy of my salvation, those kind of things, uh, that is spoken from a man who is not sure how God is going to respond to these great sins that he's committed, adultery and murder, and the the the, the uh, impact that's going to have on the entire nation as he's their leader. Uh, we don't pray that way. Like you said, the, the, the new covenant version of that would be, thank you that uh, I always have the joy of your salvation, whether I'm feeling it or not. Uh, my status is clear. Uh, I have a clean heart. I don't need a clean heart. I have a pure uh, mind. I don't need a pure mind. And your spirit's going nowhere because that's part of the blessing of the new covenant. Mm-hmm. So there's there's a way to use the Psalms to point to Christ and, uh, and, and pray them for the glory of Christ and in light of the new covenant. But we do have to be careful. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, a lot of times this leads to a question of the imprecatory Psalms as well. <laughs> that's right. And, and again, there is a way to pray that. Um, but but we have to be careful. Uh, my enemies, like the enemies that I have right now in the world, I'm supposed to pray for them mm-hmm. and love them rather than pray against them. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we, we need to be very slow to pray God's condemnation on, on anybody. Mm-hmm. At the same time, we can acknowledge and pray that that the Lord Jesus would come because when he comes, he's going to bring justice and he's going to destroy his enemies and so it's kind of a persevering, waiting, Lord, either convert them or when you come, bring your wrath upon them for their right. injustice, which is which is different. Mo, uh, David did not pray a lot. Hey, I, I wish you'd take those Amorites and really make them a godly people. You know, that, that wasn't his concern. Like, <laughs> kill them all. Kill them all. <laughs> That's right. Let's switch gears a little bit. Uh, let's look at Jesus um, and his prayer life. What are, what are some of the things that not going into those teachings yet, but what are some of the things that we can observe? If we were if we were to follow Jesus around during his thirty his three his three years of ministry, what are some of the things that we would have observed about his prayer life? Well, and it, it, to to get into that even from our uh, podcast last week on the incarnation, mm-hmm. uh, it it just boggles our mind to think that the Son of God, God incarnate, right needed to pray or spent so much time praying. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, we see over and over again, he would get away for an entire night and not sleep, but mm-hmm. he would pray, praying constantly. And, and the big events, like the choosing of the apostles and, and the cross and, and all those major uh, things in his life, we see him praying the night before or, or shortly before making these decisions. I think uh, it adds weight to what we were talking about last week, what we see mostly in the Gospels is the man, Jesus of Nazareth, not the second person of the Trinity. And so that man, Jesus, needed 
the strength of the spirit, the help right. of the spirit, the power of the spirit to do everything that he did. So that's a great example. He prayed often. He prayed before the major things. He prayed when he was, uh, he, he needed perseverance to finish, uh, like in Gethsemane, to finish the race, to, to endure what, uh, what was coming. A couple of things I like to point out, um, especially from the Gethsemane uh, experience. Uh, so here's, here's Jesus. He knows that uh, the end is coming. He knows that um, that, that he is going to go to the cross and bear the wrath of God. He knows it's going to be incomparably painful. Right. And so he asks that the Father would, would provide another way. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's not ashamed or embarrassed or hesitant to ask, Lord, this right. is, Father, this is going to hurt. Is there another way? <laughs> and of course, the Father says no, and uh, we got to go on with plan A. And, and so now it says, and I, I alluded to this last week in, in Luke's gospel, he prayed even more fervently. Yeah. After he'd asked that, and, and I, I think I mentioned how I, I think the angel that came to minister to him was bringing the message, because that's what angels do, bringing the message to him that, you know, the Father's heard you, and he said, no, we're going to go with plan A. And so now it says he prayed fervently in great agony, and that, that's that marathon runner's yep. desire to persevere. So he's saying, okay, if I have to go through this, then Father, give me the strength to persevere through this. And he, he's praying uh, drops like blood and all that. Then he gets done. And he's ready. Mm-hmm. He won the battle mm-hmm. in the garden before mm-hmm. right. the great temptation came. So then the, the, folk, the Romans show up with their clubs ready to take him away. He's not scared of anything. He's not afraid. He's not anxious. In fact, Peter, you know, what's out his sword? And he's going to take those guys out. And P- Jesus says, what are you doing? What are you thinking? Stop. And, and there, he's just complete calm and confidence because he prayed. And I think one of the lessons that we must learn from that is when we know temptation's coming, when there's a, a meeting coming, when we know whether it's an individual or a group that uh, this is going to be, it's going to tempt me to despair, it's going to tempt me to anger or whatever, uh, certain things going on with our spouses or our children or whatever, a job interview, things that we know are going to bring temptation, win the battle in the garden. Pray mm-hmm. and pray and pray mm-hmm. until you really pray, to, to use an old Puritan phrase, pray till you pray and yeah. win the battle there so that when the time comes, you're ready. So he prayed a lot. He prayed fervently. He he prayed before the major events. Yeah, that's right. I was about to say, that before major events, if you go through the scriptures, you'll see that, uh, uh, for instance, when he's getting ready to choose the apostles, he spends the night in prayer up on a hill as well. So whenever these big events are coming, he's, there, there's this season of prayer, and sometimes extended seasons, where it's not just um, um, early in the morning or late at night. It's sometimes all night that he's in prayer for these these big events. One of the things I also noticed is is Jesus often went up on a hill or he uh-huh. went somewhere desolate, it says, to pray. Is that something that we should be doing is trying to seek solitude when we pray? Absolutely. Now, we can't do that every time, obviously, and right. he didn't either. No. Uh, but to get away on you know what we would call personal retreats, to, to, to remove ourselves from everything from people and especially uh, from technology, uh, <laughs> shut it off, you know, get away for hours at a time. I do this a few times a year. I'll, and, and here in Colorado Springs, of course, there's just, uh, you can imagine so many wonderful places to go, mm-hmm. cabins, uh, right. and there are a lot of ministries here that will allow pastors to do this for free and, and other Christians for a minimal cost. Um, uh, just to get away for a night or two away from everybody, mm-hmm. leave the phone off, tell my yep. wife, look, I'll, I'll text you a couple times, let you know I'm okay. Right. But I'm just here to be with Jesus, and yeah. uh, it is wonderful. And now you come down the hill, ready to ready to go do the next thing. 
Yeah, I'm not a pastor, but I do the same thing. I have a couple times a year where there's a specific site, actually the same place I typically go to um, up on a mountain here, Palomar Mountains, uh, secluded. I can I know exactly what spot I need to go to to be away from everybody. And it's a, it's a season of just me being in solitude with the Lord, um, reading his word, praying, um, especially if there's um, big things coming up uh, in, 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 the, in the future. I'll start praying for those things there. So, yeah, I think that's a, a valuable lesson for us. A valuable lesson for us. Um, if you can't get I mean, to the hilltop, you got a closet, right? <laughs> that's right. Exactly. Anywhere that you can get alone and you're undistracted. I mean, that, that's that's great. Uh, the second thing I wanted to say a minute ago, um, thinking about Jesus praying, mm-hmm. here he is, the Son of God, mm-hmm. and he needs to pray. But right. we, we tend to couch it that way. He needs to pray. Eh, let's think of it as he wants to pray. Yeah. And if we think of prayer also as just communing with God, uh, here's a son who wants to talk to his father, right? Mm-hmm. Jesus is, he's a man, he's the son of God. He, he wants to talk to his father. He, he enjoys that conversation. Uh, and I think we can learn from that as well. We are sons of God. Even the women who are listening, mm-hmm. according to the scripture, they are sons of God. Right, right. And I stress that because uh, that's actually an elevation of women to the same status as mm-hmm. heirs, as right. men, and they have the same right. They didn't have this in the old covenant, mm-hmm. but they have the same right as, as men now. We're all equal to go before God, our Father, right. and ask Him and commune with Him. That's just part of a relationship. People that we love, we want to spend time talking with, and that's part of what prayer is as well. Mm. So let, let's then dive into some of Christ's teaching about prayer. Uh, Christ had some things to say about prayer. I mean, the, probably the most famous one, of course, is uh, what it's called the model prayer or the Lord's prayer in Matthew chapter six. Uh, let's, can, we, can we can we look into that? Yeah, let's do it. All right. And then uh, we're going to go to Luke eleven because that's my preferred. That's right. All right. Well, you, you, would you rather go there first? Uh, sure. It, okay, it, let's do it. They're largely the same, except right. there's a piece that, uh, that mm-hmm. the, the parable that follows the Lord's prayer, which I think a lot of Christians need to really understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so uh, if we go to Luke 11, uh, we'll just read here. It happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, so some specificity there, (laughs) after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. Mm. Uh, So that tells us a couple things. One, prayer is something that can be and should be learned. Mm. Uh, If he says teach us, that means we can learn it. Mm -hmm. And and, uh, D.A. Carson makes a, a... makes a lot of this and very powerfully uh, we learn to pray by those we're around we're, mm-hmm. we learn to pray, uh, pray by listening to those that pray right. and so as as leaders as men as as Christians who've been Christians for a while we need to understand people are learning how to pray when we pray yes whether it's our kids whether it's our congregations our wives just younger Christians they're listening to us mm-hmm. saying oh that's how a Christian prays so uh, we need to give thought to our prayers so Jesus answered, uh, responded, said, okay, I'll teach you. When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. I, I, I love that. And we could go into a, a long sermon here just mm-hmm. dissecting every <laughs> phrase, but I'll keep it as brief as a, a pastor can. Um, father, he starts there. There's an intimacy there. There's, he, he's not just a remote God. He's my Father. But then quickly, hallowed be thy name. Mm-hmm. And uh, when we think about what, if we treat God's name as common— then we're mm-hmm. going to consider God as common. If we're mm-hmm. throwing around Jesus Christ and, and God with as common profane words, then that's our view of God. And mm-hmm. our culture, obviously, has no concern to, to uh, express God's holiness. And so they talk about 
the Lord's name constantly, and, and uh, it's just very sad and very telling. We as Christians, of all people, should regard God as holy and Jesus as holy, and therefore treat his name holy. Now, is it possible to go the other way and, and treat his name holy and not his character? Sure it is. You know, we can, we can make a mess of anything. That's what people do. Right. Uh, but the idea is, if we regard his name as holy, then we will most likely regard him as holy, set him apart as, as something different. We're praying for his kingdom to come, uh, and, and as Matthew's version, you, his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. We, we care that God's will is being worked out here and his kingdom is built in this place. Then we get to the first petition here, at least in uh, Luke's version, give us our daily bread. That's not as significant to us as it was uh, for them. They, they didn't have pantries full of food like we do, so they were really not sure uh, most of the time if they were going to have enough food for the next day and the next day kind of thing. So we have to, um, we have to just figure out how to, to create the need in our own mind and thinking, realizing this could all be gone tomorrow. Right. Um, and, and maybe instead of asking for our daily bread when you've got a pantry full, is thanking him thanking him for all the gifts that he has. I'm, I'm not expecting him to starve anytime soon and, and mm-hmm. thanking him, but also acknowledging I do need him. Uh, mm-hmm. if, if he doesn't provide my, my meals, then I'm, I'm in trouble. Uh, forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive uh, everyone who's indebted to us. Uh, again, Matthew's version is, uh, is a little more uh, difficult. Forgive us as we forgive those who forgive us. And then he even tacks on, if you don't uh, forgive other people, the Father will not forgive you. Right. And so if you think of that through, I'm <laughs> supposed to forgive you. Or I'm sorry, I'm asking God to forgive me the same way I forgive you. Mm-hmm. That's motivation to forgive my, my yes. brother yes. and my wife, <laughs> my kids, and others, because I want God to forgive me according to the way that I forgive others. And then lead us not into temptation, uh, and, and Matthew adds, uh, deliver us from evil. So we're asking him, don't put us in that place where the devil can get at us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if we do, then Lord deliver us from that and give us the ability to stand firm. But it's the it's the remaining part that you know we're all familiar with the Lord's prayer. But it's the remaining part of Luke eleven here that I think is so instructive for us as Christians. So let me mm-hmm. walk through that. Yeah, it says, and this is all in the context of prayer. Suppose one of you has a friend and goes to him at midnight and says, "Friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has come to me from a, a journey, and I have nothing to set before him." So the hospitality was a huge. Um, part of that culture, and there was great shame in not being able to provide a meal if, if a, a visiting friend showed up. So here's a guy who's got a friend coming, he doesn't have food, so he goes to his neighbor, knocks on the door and says, hey, would you give me some food so I can provide uh, something for my friend who's coming? And from inside, he answers and says, do not bother me, the door has already been shut, and my children and I are in bed, I cannot get up and give you anything. Uh, this is a little uh, heavier. The door, the, the the locks on those doors were a little heavier than ours, so um, it still wouldn't have been great uh, inconvenience, but it would have been some inconvenience to get out, to, to wake everybody up. You know, they're sleeping in a probably a family bed, or they're all around. We all know how it is even now when our kids have a separate bedroom. When right. they're asleep, when they're young, everybody be quiet. Let's yep. just enjoy some peace and quiet. Well, how much more <laughs> so if, if they're laying in the same bed with you right. or on the floor next to you, that kind of thing. Uh, they're quiet, the door shut. No, I can't. Of course, it does beg the question, wouldn't they wake up when he pounded on the door? But anyway, that's not how the story goes. Uh, I tell you, this is Jesus now responding. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, that's important, yet because of his, and literally it's shamelessness, Mm -hmm. he will get up and give him as much as he needs. So the guy just keeps pounding shamelessly, 
nope, I'm not going to go anywhere until you get up and give me some bread. Jesus says here, friendship is not enough to motivate this guy to get up and give bread. But the shamelessness, the persistence, the constant pounding is enough. Finally, the guy will say, fine, here, here's your bread. So I say to you, that's in context of that parable, Jesus says this, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, it will be opened. So far, there is no qualification. Those are massive promises. Keep knocking. Keep asking. You will find. Keep seeking. You will find. Keep knocking. He will open the door and give you something. And then he says, now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Of course not. Or if you ask for an egg, he asks for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? If you then, being evil, talking to you, Chris, if you then, <laughs> being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give? Now, stop right there for a second. Realize the contrast. He's saying, in my parable, mm-hmm. this man who says he's a friend is not willing to get up and give his friend food in the middle of the night to take care of a, a journeyman. Mm-hmm. In contrast to a loving God, your Father does not is not hesitant to give you good things. You evil fathers take care of your sons. And if your son asks you for an egg, he's not going to give you a scorpion. He's not going to give you something that will kill you. Mm -hmm. He's going to give you something good. How much more then, if evil fathers treat their sons well and respond to requests, how much more will our heavenly father give his children good things? Right. Here's the one qualification that finally comes. How much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. to those who ask him? So he doesn't say if you ask for a fish, he's going to give you a fish. He doesn't say if you ask for bread, he's going to give you bread. He does not always give us the exact thing we ask for. But he does promise to give us something good. And the thing specifically named here is the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. And when you think about everything we could possibly ask of our Father— if we get the Holy Spirit, what else do we need? Right. He will empower us to persevere. He'll give us the joy. He'll give us whatever we need in the moment. And oftentimes God does give us what we ask for, or we can see a, a relation to what we ask and what he gives. But the point is, Jesus is saying emphatically, every single time you ask, the Father hears and responds, and he gives you something good. I just wonder how many of us believe Jesus at this point. Mm. Mm. Amen. <laughs> Preach it, brother. <laughs> That's good stuff. Let's. Can we look at a text that is is um, often thrown out uh, of its context? It's Matthew eighteen. Mm. Um, Matthew eighteen. Uh, for for most people who who know the scriptures understand this is there's a passage about church discipline, but to hear something that's and I, get your thoughts on this because you, you hear very various understandings that even from those who understand it's in the context of church discipline, but uh, Jesus is talking about church discipline and then verse uh, uh, verse eighteen says uh, truly I tell you whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly, I tell you, if agree about any matter that you pray for, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, 
I am there amongst them. Now, that's specifically in the context about church discipline, but you often hear it used for prayer meetings or or just two or three people getting together and praying. Is that something we can legitimately do is say that this is applicable to that? Nope. <laughs> I love that. Nope. <laughs> the, con- the context is church discipline. It has nothing right. to do with prayer. Uh, I, we're in trouble if we have to have one or two people with us before mm-hmm. God is there and going to answer right. us. Uh, <laughs> no, the whole context is, and even early on, he says, you talk, this is the lost sheep. Well, that mm-hmm. lost sheep in this context is not the unbeliever. Mm-hmm. It's the Jew who's wandered off. And uh, he says, you know, go get him. Uh, and, and if you have to discipline him to bring him back, you have the authority of heaven to do that. Where two or three of you, remember in the Old Covenant, required two or three witnesses to charge right. someone with something. Right. If two or three of you are gathered and say, yes, this man needs to be disciplined and brought back, you have the weight of heaven behind you in that. It's not talking about our prayer life at all. Uh, that's that's unfortunate that it has become uh, used that way. Right, right. Like I can do all things through Christ. <laughs> well, yeah, and, and, and folks, we don't have to use this text to say that the Holy Spirit is amongst us, that the presence of God is amongst us we, uh, as individuals and also corporately. Um, yes, we are the, the, the temple of God uh, as individuals, as Paul says, and also corporately. So God is amongst us. We don't have to go to this text here to, to support that, uh, especially, and it's, and it's a shame when we try to do that because then we're robbing it of its true meaning and context. And we want to we want to keep it where the Lord put it in, in its context. Um, we're, we're, we're zipping along here, and I got a lot of stuff on prayer. Do we want to go on to Paul right now then? Sure. Let's talk about Paul. You know, Paul is, and I think we talked about it a little bit before, and I think I've heard you mention it. So when you want to teach someone to pray, you take them to Paul oftentimes because you talk about how um, one of the best ways to learn how to pray or teach people to pray is to let them hear you or to listen to other people pray. And Paul is such a rich source of prayer. Uh, we see that he oftentimes opens up his epistles and these lengthy prayers, and it's very informative to find out what he prays for in these these epistles. So um, can we can we look at some of those? What you, you, I sent you a selection of, of stuff, but uh, you can pick from where you wanna you wanna go to. Well, Ephesians one is uh, usually my go to uh, to kind of walk through what uh, what Paul has as his priorities in prayer. Uh, if we go to chapter one, verse fifteen. Paul says, for this reason, I too, having heard of the faith in the Lord Jesus, which exists among you and your love for all the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. And here's his uh, here's his prayer list that God, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the father of glory, may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I believe that should be capital S. I believe he's saying, I pray that the Spirit will give you wisdom and knowledge of, of Jesus. We all need more and more knowledge of Jesus. Not just facts, not just theology, not just information, but true understanding of who Jesus is. And and he uses this later on in chapter 3 and 4. It's, it's interesting, you know, when we understand that he's not just praying for the pastor to have wisdom and knowledge. He's praying for <laughs> exactly. all the congregation. When's the last time you stopped and prayed for someone specifically? In a, in, not you, Doug, but everybody's listening. When's the last time you, you, you stopped and prayed for someone and to have wisdom and knowledge of the Lord, that their, their knowledge of him increase? Uh, Might have been a while. Might be. We, we, yeah. Yeah. And, and he goes on to talk about that knowledge of Jesus is— is what brings us to maturity in Christ, mm-hmm. uh, and that's what we should be wanting for each other. Mm-hmm. Um, in verse 18, it says, I pray the eyes of your heart may be enlightened, 
that's a fascinating phrase that 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 you know we think of the enlightenment as mm-hmm. our mind growing but he's saying i want your heart your your um your passions to to be enlightened to the things of the spirit and the things of christ for this end so that you will know what is the hope of his calling uh, that is something everybody desperately needs more of is hope. We are getting attacked on every level and discouraged and to remember that God has called us out of darkness into light and he's laid up for us this eternal inheritance. Mm-hmm. We need to re- be reminded of that. So so to ask that the Spirit would give our brothers and sisters hope mm-hmm. uh, that's going to overcome a lot of the oppression and, and depression and those kind of things that people... Yeah, I, I believe Don Carson, when he came across this... Um, I feel weird calling him Don Carson, D.A. Carson. <laughs> I believe he, he he emphasized a lot on this this hope, this eschatological understanding when we prayed. Uh, this 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 mindset of of the hope that is to come, what what where where we're headed to, the direction that we're going to when we're praying, um, as as a uh, uh, means to bolster our prayer. Well, and again, think about you know how often when someone is depressed, mm-hmm. really really down, and we pray about that. But do we pray this? Mm-hmm. What's going to bring them out of that depression? Mm. Hope, mm-hmm. right? We, we, yeah. Depression is is sort of synonymous with despair. Mm-hmm. Well, despair is the lack of hope. Right. And so to be praying, God, give them hope of what you've called them to, where this is going to all end up. Right. Uh, that will bring people out of out of that uh, that melancholy a lot of times. Uh, we're de- he says, I want them to know what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Again, it's a, it's a future looking thing. We are his inheritance. He is our inheritance. We have this great thing awaiting us. And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward those of us who believe the power that brought us out of darkness into light and that, uh, we have, uh, Jesus, our King sitting at the right hand of the father and, and so on. Uh, very, very different. I ask every time I teach on this. Uh, in, in mm-hmm. any group setting, sometimes even from the pulpit, I say, um, think about your prayers of the last week. Mm. <laughs> what percentage of them would you say is focused on temporal things like health mm-hmm. and jobs mm-hmm. or y- your kids in a, in a temporal thing? And, you know, this, the percentages are always way, way high. So then I ask him this. Give me one example in the New Testament, where by principle or precept, we are told to pray for health. First John 1, 2. Or th- th- third, third John 1, 2. Come on. Come on. You're cheating. You didn't, <laughs> let the, you didn't let the audience have a chance. Why would you do that? Because I heard you give this challenge before. I was Why ready. Why would you do that? You ruined it for everybody. <laughs> One place. One <laughs> There's one place in the entire New Testament where we're told, or give an example of someone praying for health. Right. And yet, the majority of our prayers are about people's health. Yes. And not about hope of the calling and inheritance right. and power and all the other things that we see and, and, and uh, the, the Lord's Prayer, those kind of things. We need to invert that. I'm not suggesting for a minute that we don't pray for people's health. I'm saying percentage-wise, proportionate-wise, there should be way more prayer right. for spiritual growth and the knowledge of Jesus than there is for physical needs. Right, right. I think it's okay to pray for Aunt May and her shingles and everything like that, but you're right. Our priorities are displayed in our prayers. 
Um, and if you look in the book of Acts, when they're gathered together and praying, they're praying for boldness and ministry. I mean, if you want to see sick people, there were sick people all around them. Uh, there was beggars on the street, people who were lame, sick, ill, all around back in that time period. They didn't have the medical resources we did or do nowadays. So you had all these sick folks, but they weren't gathered together and, and making that the priority of their prayers. It was the gospel advancement. And for um, uh, believers to grow in maturity, as we're seeing in Paul, there was just such a, a different emphasis that you don't see when you go into or hear when you go into a prayer meeting nowadays. Um, you got these, these things, these prayer lists. Mm-hmm. Um, where we go down and we 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 say, okay, anybody got anything to pray for? And and it's my job, my I need a new car because this one's dying. And these aren't bad things to pray for, but the first and my, the emphasis that should consume us is is the gospel and um, how the gospel is advancing in the unbelieving world and advancing in our individual lives. Right. But we don't see that, and, and because our priorities are largely our priorities temporal things. Mm-hmm. I have a, a chapter on this in my book, Exalted, and mm-hmm. I've had more than one person say to me, uh, that one hurt. <laughs> that, yeah. <laughs> uh, that was convicting to, to think through that. Right, right, right. So um, uh, let me let me keep on going for time's sake. Oh, we, I've, got a, I've got a list of uh, passages I'd love to go through and explore. It's very similar to the same thing that we already said in Ephesians about how Paul viewed our priority in prayer being maturity, growing in Christ. Um how does the Holy Spirit help us in prayer? Uh, am I on my own, or is, is do I have some help? Uh, there's a lot of discussion about where he comes in on that. Well, Paul uh, would indicate in Romans 8 that uh, he intercedes for us in, in prayer, and, and you know we don't know what we're to pray for all the time, and uh, we don't even know what to say, but we can be comforted that the Holy Spirit is going to interpret our requests to the Father in a way that's pleasing to Him. So uh, we don't have to worry too much about getting everything right. Just just bear your soul and pray. And sometimes it's not even words. You're just, you're, you feel a heaviness, you feel a dependence and a need, and the Holy Spirit will take that and present it to the Father in a way that's pleasing to Him. So that's good. Uh, I believe the Spirit does guide us in, in praying. Yeah. Uh, I believe as we are listening, you know, a lot of times it's, it's good to, uh, to stop talking before we start talking mm-hmm. and uh, just go quiet and really listen and, and let the Spirit reveal to our spirit the kinds of things we should be asking for. Mm-hmm. And I've been in some scenarios where uh, I'm, I'm, I'm quiet, I'm kind of meditative before I start talking, and then some something pops in my mind, mm-hmm. and I just pray for this. And uh, you know, if there's somebody in the room with me, or if I tell them later I prayed, or, or some other way, it becomes clear that was precisely what that person needed, and, and I didn't know that, and mm-hmm. I, I, you know, I believe it was the Spirit mm-hmm. leading me to say and pray for these things, which now becomes a, a source of, of confirmation and encouragement to the other person, and, and the Father is going to respond to that. So, uh, I, you know, it doesn't happen every time, but I just think to, to sit and allow the Spirit to work with our spirit before we pray and as we pray, to, to also refocus and make sure that our Prayers are Christ-centered, not me-centered. Mm-hmm. Right. So uh, when when uh, when Susie gets up and says, uh, "I have an unspoken prayer," we're going to be okay. That's okay. <laughs> That's right. That's right. God I knows. Remember, I remember as a young person sitting in a prayer meeting, and someone said that first time I ever heard that, and I'm like, "Wait, what is what is an unspoken prayer? What is that? Right. <laughs> Why should she just tell us?" Hey, uh, let's look at James. Got a lot to say about prayer. We've already hit a little bit upon it. 
Um, but let's look at James chapter 5, because there's a passage there that um, is uh, very interesting and often brought up in any discussion about prayer. But um, when uh, he's closing out his book, he talks about uh, if there's anyone suffering, uh, among you suffering, he should pray. Uh, that's, that's, a, that's a good sound words. And it says, is anyone cheerful? He should sing praises. Is uh, anyone among you sick? He should fall, call on the elders of the church, and they are to pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick person, and the Lord will raise him up. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. And then it goes on, of course, about Elijah. What, what's going on there? Are we, are we talking about prayer, faith healing type thing going on here? Absolutely. If you all just had enough faith, there'd be no sick people. <laughs> that, that, that's it. I mean, uh, yeah, obviously even Jesus did not heal everybody that he uh, came with. And he, he walked on past some people that were calling on mm. him for yep. help. Um, no, that, the context here is, uh, is weakness. The Greek word translated sick is the, the word for weakness. And sometimes it does mean physical weakness and, mm. and infirmity, what we would call sickness. I'm persuaded that the that the emphasis is on spiritual weakness mm. uh, that fits the the promises given much better than physical weakness. Uh, I I believe we so even in my church we practice this with physically sick people, mm-hmm. but we emphasize to everyone we're really we're really encouraging you if you have a spiritual weakness to come and and call the elders. Either way, we encourage them to come and call the elders. Mm-hmm. Every we do this every Sunday, by the way. Uh, our elders are up front, and people come and and every Sunday we we pray for those who call ask us to. Uh, and I want to stress that in this context, the impetus is on the person who needs help to ask the elders. This is not the elders going around saying, "Hey, how can I pray for you?" Right. This is you. The weak person humbling yourself, as he talked about in chapter four, humble yourself uh, and the Lord will raise you up. Humbling yourself enough to say, hey, elders, shepherds, I need help here. I need strength because I am weak. Um, And so, yes, the elders are to anoint that person with oil uh, and pray for them, pray for that weakness, which if it's spiritual weakness, this all makes perfect sense. Uh, So the, the person is humbly asking, that's required. The mm-hmm. elders now pray in faith, believing that God will give them strength because he has promised to do that. Again, back to Luke 11 and other places. And God says, I will restore that one who is weak. I will give that strength. If you humble yourself, the elders pray, believing, I will give you the strength you need to overcome. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sin, so if he, if his weakness has become so prominent that he's crossed over into sin, he, he's not been able to overcome temptations. He's forgiven, and uh, they'll be forgiven him. And that's in the context that says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another, and you'll be healed. Uh, we use that all the time to say, confess your sins to each other. But the context is you're confessing this to the elders or to mm-hmm. God through the elders mm-hmm. and asking for, for help to, to uh, persevere in righteousness. And I will tell you, uh, I could list. we could be here for hours, and I could list how many examples I have of God being faithful to this. Like mm-hmm. I said, every Sunday— our elders are up front, people come down and they confess all kinds of sin, or I'm struggling with this, or I'm tempted to this, and we anoint them with oil, and we pray for the mm. Lord's power to overcome it. And I can tell you story after story after story of people who don't give in to temptation, or they stop uh, with that sin, and, and God is faithful to his word here. Amen. Amen. That's good stuff. Um, 
let me let me jump over to uh, another related question. And uh, uh, when I'd originally put this topic down on our list, it was it was going to be prayer and fasting. But I, I think prayer needed to be the dominant priority. But the question of fasting always comes up in relationship to prayer. In some translations, you have uh, Jesus saying that this kind of prayer only comes, or this only this miracle, this kind of power only comes through prayer and fasting. And it's, it's it depends on what translation you're using, also what what version of the Bible, because uh, some translations just put in a footnote that it was in, not in all manuscripts. Um, but you also see in in Acts where the disciples were praying and fasting. What is the relationship between fasting and prayer? Does 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 uh, fasting somehow supercharge your prayers to make them more effectual or something? What is what is that? We see in the Old Testament, we see fasting going on, people putting on sackcloth and ashes and stuff like that and fasting. What what is it? What role does it play in prayer in the New Testament or New Covenant? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I'm serious. Uh, there's just so little given right. to us about what it is and what it does. Mm -hmm. I, I don't understand fasting, uh, and I've you know I've read lots of books. I, I hate in case you haven't learned this about me. I hate not knowing stuff. Oh, I uh, <laughs> and I have researched and researched, and I I don't know. I have uh, just not found the answers to all my questions on this. It, it clearly is tied to, to prayer a lot. And, I, and we can surmise that there's something about denying the, the, the food, denying the physical need there, and focusing that attention and time on, on prayer can, can give us more fervency and that kind of thing. And I don't know. We, there's all kind of speculation. Bottom line is I don't know. I, I'm both disappointed and thrilled that you, you answered <laughs> that way because um, – disappointed because of the fact that uh, I, I've, I've struggled over this discussion often as well. Um, and, and thrilled because of the fact that I'm not alone <laughs> in my struggle. And the reason being is because of the fact that in the New Testament, we see, if you just even just did a word search for fasting in the New Testament, you're going to come up with very few references, the majority of them being in the gospel, um, and very few times mentioned elsewhere. And it does not give us any clear understanding of why they're fasting, just that it, it, it's usually in regard to prayer, um, I remember growing up as a, as a young Southern Baptist, uh, the fasting was, uh, was done after you did a, uh, you know, a, a, a potluck, you know, you kick off a fast with potluck <laughs> pot to get ready for it. But anyways, there was the understanding of fasting. But then I remember one of my professors, my first college professors, a New Testament professor who said, uh, I don't believe in fasting. And everybody was like, what? Because he was teaching through the Gospels and said, I don't, I don't believe fasting is part of the New Covenant. And that was the first time I ever started going, wait a minute, what? What? Mm -hmm. And I started realizing, hmm, there's a, not a lot of information about fasting in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. So um, if it weren't for those passages in Acts that you refer mm -hmm. to, uh, right. we, we wouldn't because even the, the in, in the Gospels, that's largely in an old covenant setting. Mm -hmm. uh, but we do have uh, the, the early church doing it. So right. I don't know. Uh, uh, I've done it. Uh, mm -hmm. I fasted and I prayed mm -hmm. during that time, mm -hmm. and it's it's been good. It's been yeah. you know existentially, it's been good. But uh, as far as a, a understanding of what it really is and does, I, I can't give you that. Yeah, and, and the majority of the writings that I've read on fasting, it, it's not really they're not really expounding on the scriptures. They're 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 reading a lot of into it. Right. So again. Um, so if you got if you got comments on that, feel free to send them to us. Get <laughs> the answers we're looking for. We'd or, love yeah. to hear it. <laughs> yeah, Chris at crossthecrown.org. <laughs> I'm sure you're gonna get a lot of opinions. That's that's right. So yeah, yeah, I'm sure I'm sure we'll get some some notes dropped on that. Um, let, let's go through a few more quickly, rather quickly, but let's hit more of the uh, practical stuff. Is why don't we pray? Why don't we pray, Doug? 
because we really don't believe we need God. We're self-sufficient. Mm. Mm. I mean, that... think about it. When does your prayer, when is everyone's prayer ramped up mm-hmm. when there is some significant event that we're now a little bit afraid of? Mm. And we pray. Uh, so I think that's the biggest thing. The second biggest reason is probably we just don't value it enough to make time for it, which is really tied to the first one. Um, but we're going to make time for the things that matter to us. And if uh, communing with the Lord and, and seeking Him on a regular basis was a high priority, we would make time for it. Right, right. Hey, do you, do you see a, a decline in, in um, corporate prayer meetings across the country? Um, I certainly hear a lot of people complain about that, yeah. yes. A lot of pastors yeah. and, and Christians saying we don't do that. Uh, I actually shut down a corporate prayer meeting when I first became the uh, the pastor of our church uh. because it was just, it wasn't effective. It was, uh. you know, an hour and a half prayer meeting with uh, 10 minutes of prayer. Right. And an hour and 20 minutes of uh, prayer requests, mm-hmm. and which led to discussions about this, that, and the other thing. And uh, and I, our people know now, if I'm at a prayer meeting, if I'm leading a prayer meeting, we're there to pray. Like, you can ask your request. You don't have to tell us your request before you tell God. Let's just pray. And, right. uh, and let's do that. Right, right. And, uh, and sometimes, like anything else, they can become rote, and you just go through the motions. And so often they're temporal needs. You know, when we pray as a congregation now— our greatest passion is to see the gospel impact our city and to see our church strengthened in spiritually. So those are the things we pray about. Mm-hmm. And I think that does draw Christians together to want to pray about those things if that's what they're concerned about. But yeah, absolutely, there's a decline in the corporate prayer. Yeah, it's it's all but, I think, dead here in, in Southern California. I know of one church specifically that still has a prayer meeting. Uh, but a lot of times, like you were saying, these prayer meetings become gossip sessions, gripe sessions, complaints. And and then there's this okay well we better we better get to praying now yep and 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 uh, I heard one guy give an interesting and I think I see this here in in Southern California he said one of the reasons we we see the decline of of, of corporate prayer is the rise of Bible studies he says I have no problem with you know home groups or community groups Bible study groups meeting at homes and stuff he says he says but they they study the word and then they get to the end and they say oh we're running late on time so uh, let's go ahead and um, Let's go ahead and get some prayer uh, prayer requests real quick, and I'll jot down some prayer requests. And then it's even followed with, all right, briefly, let's go ahead and pray for these things real quick. Right. Because we got to go. we got to get up early tomorrow morning, so let's go ahead and do it. And so prayer is rushed rather than being a, an emphasis. Um, when we see that there was this this um, uh, devoting oneself to the Word and to prayer in the, in the New, New Testament church, mm-hmm. we're not devoted to prayer like we I think we should be corporately. And we see most of the time uh, prayer mentioned in reference to in a new covenant church as, as part of a corporate thing going on there. We don't do that as much. So uh, um, if I agree, and I, you know, we tell our small group leaders, um, mm-hmm. there are lots of good opportunities for our people to be fed the word of God. Mm-hmm. Don't be shy about spending a, a significant amount of time in your small groups in prayer. Mm-hmm. Even if you don't get to a Bible study, they're, they're, they're getting the word. They need to pray. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are some tips? What are some tips for individuals? Um, what are some suggestions? Uh, one of your one of your sheep come to you at church and says, "I want to. I've heard your podcast. I want to develop a prayer life. Um, yes. What are some things that I should start doing to help me? What are some? Because this is a discipline. You, you right. talk about how we were to we can learn to pray. So it's a discipline, something that is is learned, trained. Um, besides being a joy and a pleasure. And something incredible and awesome to understand that we're communing with the living God who created all things. Um, what? How do I train myself for this? Yeah, there are some things. 
I, for me, at least, I approach it. There's a there's a, a formal time of prayer, and then there's the mindset of prayer. I, when mm-hmm. Paul talks about praying without ceasing and pray at all times, I think he's he's largely saying we need to be constantly in the in the mindset of I'm dependent on God, and so asking Him and, and training ourselves to seek Him for everything, whether it's uh, food, uh, you know, or whatever. Uh, when I go to counseling sessions before the podcast, whatever, I'm, I'm praying and asking the Lord. And those those are not long prayers, you know, but he he, he tells us, don't get too caught up in the um, the uh, the number of words you use. There's nothing wrong with a short prayer. But then on, on the more formal times, the time set aside for prayer, I think we, uh, I would encourage our people to go through and do a, 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 just look up the word prayer in the New Testament and see all the things that are prayed for in the New Testament and start compiling kind of a list of the things that are prayed for there and use that as a guide. Uh, Ephesians 1, Colossians 1, Philippians 1, those are all very good. The Lord's Prayer, obviously, we talked about, and and walk through. I could pray for an hour easy walking through the Lord's Prayer. You know, just just Father and praising Him for being the Father and hallowed be Thy name and that kind of thing. Have you ever seen Martin Luther's book, uh, A Simple Way to Pray? Yes. Yeah. I got that a years ago. Um, I, in fact, I was looking at it for, as I was prepping for the show, and I looked at it, so it was, um, uh, I think that copy was from 2000. And uh, I remember thinking, this is this is incredible. We don't often, uh, you know, we understand we call it model prayer, and most people just repeat it rather than using it to understand a format in which we can use to pray. And there's nothing wrong with that as long as we're not becoming ritualistic and seeing that this is some magic incantation that we say and things will happen, etc. Do you do you keep a prayer list? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. You know, I was, I thought it was interesting. Don Carson again, Don Carson, <laughs> Doctor Carson. Like we're buddies or something. Um, Do- Dr. Carson uses a, uh, I believe he said a folder that in which he keeps letters from people who ask him for prayer or, or he, there's a need mentioned. And he keeps a folder and he, he just goes through the letters and he just picks up wherever he left off last time. Right. So, yeah, I think I think prayer journals or, or prayer lists are very helpful. In fact, I had a professor who made a profound impact on me, not because of the fact that he was um, some super genius or anything, but because of his prayer life and humility. He would begin the, the class uh, with taking prayer requests and, and and praying in class, and sometimes that would be the whole class, um, mm-hmm. which did, wasn't the purpose of the class. But um, he always kept this little little booklet, um, like a field book, in his pocket, and he was always writing down. If you said something in passing about um, some type of need, he would write it down. And later on, he was an older gentleman too, and later on, say for instance, you ran into him in chapel at the end, he would walk up to you and he'd say, how such and such? And he and he said, I've been praying for you about that. And I don't think there's anything wrong with telling people you've been praying for them about that because it's a source of comfort and encouragement. And it's not some humble brag that you're doing, um, but it's, I think it's a, it's a source of encouragement to folks as well. But uh, yeah, I definitely encourage people to keep a, a prayer list. And if you tell someone that you're going to pray for them or pray for this need, do it. Don't mm-hmm. just say it. Write it down. Pray for I, it. I don't even tell people that anymore. I just stop right then and pray for them. Right. You know, right. I, I, yeah. Because I'll forget. Mm-hmm. And the other thing about a prayer journal is write down the answers. Yeah. Yes. God, the fundamental sins of mankind in Romans 1 are they did not honor him as God or give him thanks. We as his people had better be giving him thanks. If we're not keeping track of what we're asking for and seeing his response, then we are not giving him the due thanks that he deserves. I don't know who it was. It posted uh, probably about two months ago, I guess, was pictures of their father or grandfather who's passed away, uh, prayer journals he found of his, Mm. in which there's detailed prayer lists uh, for for folks and things, and and then then there's answers written next to it. And it's just incredible because he crosses them out and writes the answer about what how God provided for that situation. So uh, it's it's remarkable. You know, there's a, those are 
wonderful testimonies left behind to to a man who was devoted to prayer and a faithful God who was faithful in answering those prayers. Um, a few more quick questions. Uh, let me rapid fire. Uh, does it matter how we pray? Eyes closed, eyes open. Is that just tradition or what? Yeah, there's no indication in the Bible one way or the other. I usually pray with my eyes open, and yep. I I sort of think as God being Jesus being in the room with me as I pray. Yes. I'm looking looking over in that corner where he might be. Yeah, someone asked me one time, uh, and, and whenever you ask somebody asks you why you pray the way you do, that means they weren't didn't they didn't have their eyes closed either. Um, but they, someone asked me, why do you pray with your eyes open looking up? I said, well, I said typically when we see Jesus praying, he's looking up into heaven and he's got his eyes open. So I said, right. I'm praying expecting. So. Uh, um, then on our knees or standing up or sitting down, does it matter? Doesn't matter at all. Uh, we certainly are physical creatures, and so to prostrate ourselves um, on our knees at times, uh, you know, for our sake, I think that can be good to remind us of who we're praying to, but absolutely not. It doesn't matter when, where. We could be lying on our back, we could be taking a shower, whatever. Mm -hmm. Is it helpful to find um, someone to pray with often, uh, individually, like a prayer partner or whatever? I think so. Uh, this, uh, in addition to that, praying out loud. Mm -hmm. I pray out loud a lot, mm -hmm. whether I'm with somebody or not. And there's something, again, that just it, it, it moves from this uh, ritualistic, religious thing that I'm doing sort of in my, my head to I really am talking to somebody. So if I have somebody else with me, then it creates that as well. And there's just there's joy in doing it together. Remember, right. when two or three are gathered, they're right. in the Lord. <laughs> If you they're they're invoking church discipline. <laughs> we just love going around you know, invoking church discipline on everybody whenever we get together. <laughs> That's the heart of our prayers. So let me ask you a recommended reading list. Um, besides scripture, of course, this this is your primary prayer books. This is our primary prayer book where you want to learn. Um, how to pray, you go, go to the scriptures, but what are some good books that maybe you've enjoyed, uh, been helpful to you that have, have um, really deepened your understanding of, of the scriptures teaching a prayer? Yeah, I would uh, list two or three here. One, you already mentioned Luther's book. I think that's really helpful. Uh, and we've alluded to several times here, your buddy Don Carson wrote a book. Um, <laughs> uh, it, it used to be called A Spirit, a Call to Spiritual Reformation. I believe the newest edition is now called The Prayers of Paul or Praying right. Like Paul, something like that. Mm -hmm. Either way, look it up. You can find it. It is the best I've ever seen on yeah. prayer. And he walks through the prayers of Paul and brings out some of these points that we've been talking about. And then uh, a third one is uh, A Praying Life by a man named Paul Miller. Uh, it is going to, if you struggle to pray, not so much with, uh, what should I pray about, but I just don't pray, uh, read a praying life by Paul Miller. It will have a significant impact. We actually brought his, uh, his colleague out for a prayer conference here last year and uh, people still talk about it. It was wow. so helpful to mm -hmm. remind ourselves of who we are and our relationship to God and that he wants us to come and talk to him and ask him and commune with him. It's really, really good. So the book is a good place to start there. A Praying Life by Paul Miller. Yeah. Let me let me throw in a, a plug also for the, the Cross the Crown book uh, by John Riesinger, um, the, the Sovereignty of God in Prayer. It's, mm -hmm. it's, just, it's a short little work, but man, is it chunk full of good stuff there. It's so, one of our uh, top sellers every yeah. month. Yeah, that's. I think your your wife commented on that when I I wrote a note one time when she posted it. I, I said something and she said, "Yeah, this is this is the number one requested book that we have," um, because a lot of people are, are interested in how those those two go together. And we just we just gave it all out now for free on the on the uh, <laughs> podcast. So 
So, yeah, you know, and it's funny because I would agree on all those books, too. I've got them on my shelf. Um, so very helpful, uh, very encouraging. And uh, uh, so, folks, stop listening and get to praying. So. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so, all right, uh, Doug, you got anything else? Uh, just thinking as we wrap up, uh, you alluded to it a bit, a bit ago in Acts 2, you know, the early church, mm -hmm. they gathered for four things, uh, the apostles teaching, which we would call the scriptural, you know, Bible studies and that kind of thing, uh, for communion or fellowship, for, uh, breaking bread and eating meals together and prayer. Mm -hmm. Uh, it, it's significant part of who we are as Christians. It has to be. And so, uh, I just, I would, I would encourage everyone to get the books we talked about, look up the scriptures, but maybe more what you just said. Just pray. Yeah. Just pray. Talk to the Father, uh, and and He will He'll meet you there. That's right. Amen. Amen. Well, folks, we want to thank you for joining us again. It is a pleasure and a joy to be able to get together, Doug and I, and and discuss these topics, and and we pray that you'll be edified by them. Um, if you have any questions, again, you can reach us at Chris at CrossTheCrown.org. And uh, we, we really are, are uh, uh, encouraged by all the notes that you guys have left for us on, on social media after we post these, these, these uh, uh, episodes. We thank you for any ratings that you've given to us, any comments, and we appreciate and ask you to continue to do that. But we really, really want to ask you to share these podcasts. Get this word out, um, and, and maybe it'll be an edification to someone else who, who needs to hear a good word. I, I've seen it often happen on social media where someone will post this somewhere else, and they'll tag me, or I get tagged somehow on it. And then I see somebody who I don't know uh, respond to it saying, you know, that was such a blessing. I really benefited from it. Um, uh, I thank the Lord for it. So, so please share this podcast with someone. Uh, we need more people praying. We need more, more saints uh, on their knees praying and, and asking the Lord to continue to be faithful to his promises and advancing the kingdom of Christ Jesus uh, in this world and also in the church and in our individual lives. So until we meet next time, we want to encourage you to intentionally live Christ-obsessed in all things. <laughs>